Hey everybody, welcome to the MBIT Podcast in which we discuss personal finance, tech, and entrepreneurship. Today joining us will be Simon Grunfield to discuss the blockchain, crypto, and the impact on the future. First of all, uh, thank you Simon for taking the time to uh, hop on the pod. How are you doing today? Absolutely, Shams. I'm doing great. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. And let's start off with some background here. How did you get interested in the blockchain and crypto industry? What sparked your interest? Yeah, well, my my career started out in information technology. Uh, really, it was a dot-com bust that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, so, you know, I started dabbling a little bit in some web development, web tech. Uh, one thing led to another, and then I started taking on all kinds of different projects for, you know, local area networking, wide area networking, setting up email systems, and uh, effectively working as an IT tech for, for a couple of years. And just by accident, I kind of fell into fintech. Um, one of the clients I was dealing with was running a black box system. It really intrigued me what this whole thing was about trading, something I had no, no idea about, uh, which is called foreign exchange, foreign exchange trading for, for retail. And um, this black box system and the way that he was manipulating data and looking at different models, it, it, it just really got my juices flowing. So. I decided to go out and uh, get my CTA license, which is a commodity trading advisor. And it's a, a license that uh, is registered under the National Futures Association and the CFTC. And then one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was a partner with a few other people in an FX brokerage here in the US. And at the same time, we also spun up all kinds of different platforms as a service for, again, you know, traders, people looking to you know, trade their accounts with all kinds of automated robots and, and algorithms and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's kind of like how my fintech career started. Uh, regulation had its own kind of idea of where we were going to be heading. So in 2010, Dodd-Frank bill, which came out, kind of kiboshed, unfortunately, that entire industry. So we were forced to shut down. Uh, I fell back on my IT background for a little bit, doing some some work with some healthcare and pharmaceutical companies. But uh, when I started hearing more and more about Bitcoin, that is when I decided, wait a minute, there's something here because here we have sort of like a, like a healthy marriage of technology of this brand new innovative tech stack that is labeled decentralized uh, ledger tech, DLT, and capital markets. So it, it just made sense to me to kind of jump into it. So I did and uh, I joined a few other people uh, we built out a platform that we eventually started to white label and spin up exchanges for uh, companies around the world that were looking to onboard clients and bring them the utility that is uh, cryptocurrencies from Bitcoin and Ethereum and then a few others as well. And then that started to expand into all kinds of different areas where we were doing wallet development. Uh, we helped a few clients with some token sales and so on and so forth. And that's kind of like where everything started for me within the world of blockchain. And uh, for the people in the audience who are not too familiar with the technology, uh, what is blockchain and crypto and what impact can they or do they already have in the average person's life? So I usually, <laughs> I usually try to think about who's asking me that question because the way I, I preface it, it really depends on, on their background and their understanding. Uh, for someone like you and me or, or other people within the industry, you know, I'll say blockchain is a decentralized ledger tech that allows for uh, an immutable way of, uh, of trustless transactions between counterparties. Okay. Now, if I gave that answer to my neighbor who is an insurance salesman, you know, 
uh, I might get a kind of a weird reaction. So to my neighbor, the insurance salesman, I'll say, have you ever heard of Bitcoin? They usually say yes. And I say, well, blockchain is the technology that makes coins like Bitcoin possible. Okay. Now, that's the beginning. That's where everything begins, by just understanding the fundamental layer of that technology stack. Crypto, cryptocurrencies are tokens or coins that are generated using this technology for the purpose of transacting back and forth for instead of you sending me a money wire or some i mean there's so many different ways of of, of sending remittances across the globe these days you can use blockchain based cryptocurrencies in order to remit funds back and forth one of the interesting aspects of my career in the beginning when i started doing the blockchain initiatives uh, I actually visited uh, Singapore for a few days. And while I was there, I went into a, what looked like an office building at first. But then as I walked in, the entire floor was just crammed with these uh, boutique uh, money remittances and exchange booths. So people that came to Singapore, just like New York, you have a, a huge influx of foreigners that come in they earn a living and then they send money back home. Same thing in a lot of these uh, large metropolitans like Singapore. But there, it was the first time I started seeing something very unique, which was that people also had the opportunity of sending crypto back home. But what was funny is that back home, wherever it was, it could have been the Philippines, it could have been New Zealand, it could be anywhere. Uh, they actually had people physically getting on mopeds or bicycles or whatever, driving down to the house of where the money was supposed to arrive and giving the end recipient cash. So it was a combination of cash and crypto that was facilitating these transactions for people. Uh, long story short, crypto is doing something now that we haven't seen, at, I think, at any time during, I guess, uh, you know, the civilization that's been recorded, which is we're able to see a means of transacting without any kind of trusted middleman. That's that's key here because we've all grown up knowing about credit cards, debit cards, the banking system. Uh, every modern country has its own centralized banking system. And that middleman is there to essentially both referee, act as a routing agent, and also provide sort of you know dispute resolution when the time comes. Here with crypto, none of that is needed or, or is applicable in this case. So you and I can transact peer-to-peer without any kind of third party involvement. And you and I can transact knowing that whatever I send you and whatever you send me is actually going to happen. You know, and I'm kind of like describing an atomic swap in that case, but the, the notion of crypto being a 24 seven and it truly is a 24 seven tradable asset. You could trade it at one o'clock in the morning on New Year's day. Okay, it doesn't depend on the banks, doesn't depend on any kind of agency, but the fact that you have the ability to transact at any time of day without any kind of middleman is truly revolutionary and groundbreaking. And we're seeing that over the last, I wanna say 10 to 12, 13, 14 years now, we're seeing a huge paradigm shift in FinTech heading towards blockchain and crypto specifically because of it. And you know, we can keep on talking about where it's going, like decentralized applications, which ultimately is now falling into the whole NFT realm. And then there's this whole aspect of DeFi, which again, all of these are, are very, very unique uh, subject matters that you can spend honestly hours just discussing. 
Now, people have, uh, who have heard of crypto and NFTs have also heard of the word or the two words, uh, gas fees. Yeah, w what are gas fees? Yeah, well, like anything else, you know, if you want to use any kind of system, you're going to have to put something into it. You have to, you know, there are resources that are being used up. And a gas fee, you know, is, is exactly that. Just like if you want to power your car and drive somewhere, you got to put gas in the car. So if you and I are transacting or if you're minting an NFT or if you're creating something on the blockchain, the network, the chain itself is going to require some kind of a fee in order to make it happen. Uh, so that's what gas fee is all about. And different chains charge different amounts depending on the kind of resource usage that they're currently experiencing or what they expect to use uh, in order to facilitate your transaction. So if you're minting something uh, today, you probably want to think about either minting it on Ethereum, which is the most costly from all the chains, or you can go to something a little bit you know, more cheaper and um, you get basically the same amount of value like a Polygon or Stellar. I mean, there's a bunch of, there are a bunch of blockchains today that you can choose from. It's really about legacy, provenance, and um, I guess the community as a whole. You know, the Ethereum is still number two when it comes to the world of crypto. Polygon is catching up. A lot of these other guys are slowly catching up and it really comes down to the utility that they all provide individually from their own features and the benefits. But uh, at the end of the day, you're not gonna be able to do anything on the chain unless you're actually contributing back. And in this case, they just call it gas. So that's all it is. Yeah, I think one of the negatives blockchain seems to currently have right now is the amount of energy it takes to um, to add transactions on to the blockchain, right? Because I think that's one of the things Elon Musk was talking about, which is why he didn't initially implement any crypto um, into purchasing things for Tesla um, because of the amount, the massive energy it takes, especially with these mines, they consume a ridiculous amount of power. What do you think about that? How can we scale it in the future? And do you think that will hold us back? I've been to a lot of data centers in my life, and I'll tell you, I'll, and and you know, uh, just all things being equal, any data center, it could be just Amazon hosting a bunch of websites, right? They all use immense amount of power, but they kind of do a lot of things. They don't just maintain a blockchain, and I think that's sort of like where a lot of the uh, a lot of the negative press is coming from, saying like, do we really need this kind of infrastructure, this size infrastructure that's using up so much energy, really just to create? this immutable ledger tech that is being used for all sorts of different reasons. Well, uh, I mean, me personally, the jury is kind of like out. I do know that we're finding ways of mitigating that. I know that, um, you know, as technology continues to improve, as we find new re, uh, renewable energy sources, you know, we're going to get to that point at some point. Um, it's another funny story um, that I learned about I actually met somebody who runs a mining rig, well, at least at the time he was running a mining rig uh, in Mongolia. And I asked him how he was actually powering it. These guys were powering it using just coal. They had a bunch of guys sitting on the outside of the data center and they would go out with donkeys to a nearby coal mine, load the donkeys up, bring them back in. And that's what they were using. You know, so uh, that's a, like a bad example of what you don't wanna do or what you could try to avoid. But uh, it, is, it is a problem. It is an issue that a, a lot of people, you, me, anybody can go out and buy any kind of um, you know, ant mining hardware and mine things in the comfort of their own living room or you know, invest into something even more grandiose. But it is a concern 
that I think advancements in tech, making chips more efficient, uh, making semiconductor technology uh, improve upon itself, and then who knows, even maybe quantum tunneling, quantum tech might actually provide a whole new revolution in the way that we actually do computing. So yeah, I think the jury is still out from my perspective. And uh, blockchain is one of those things that's really hyped up in the media nowadays. We, you can't go on the internet without hearing about it. But only 0.5% of the world population is currently using blockchain, yet 59.5% of the people uh, on the world uh, currently use the internet globally. So what do you think about that statistic? It seems like we're still in the infancy of blockchain, but what are your thoughts? I kind of think back to when I was really young and I started watching TV and they had all kinds of reports about this new thing called email and this new thing about the internet. And uh, some people were like, yeah, well, when this fad is over, you know, we'll move on with our lives. I think we're, we're seeing the same thing happen again, but in a, a very different shift. We're, we're seeing this new wave of of innovation happening. Um, but it's happening at such a fast pace that the adoption is not there yet. It's going to take time for the adoption to catch up to the pace of how things are changing from, again, from the tech perspective, from the usability, the utility behind a lot of these platforms. It's just going to take time. There, there's no doubt about it. But uh, yeah, we can innovate much faster as a society than we can adopt new technologies it's it's a weird it's a weird situation and in regards to digital assets tracked in the blockchain for example nfts or non-fungible tokens where are they stored it's a common misconception that some people might think they're actually stored on the blockchain but that's where the transactions are tracked so where are these digital assets stored that's a great question because the so simba chain the company i'm with we're fixing a lot of things with the nft market and this is actually one of them because we actually found out that there's something, so there's something called link rot. Link rot, so all right, what is an NFT? So you're generating this, uh, this digital asset that sits somewhere, you're minting it on the blockchain, yes, but let's say you're, it's just an image or it's a, a ticket to a concert, whatever, whatever that JPEG or, or uh, audio video file, whatever that is, that file itself has to sit somewhere. So the most predominant way of doing so is by using the IPFS file system, the interplanetary file system, which is its own uh, project within itself. Most of the NFTs out there are finding their way to IPFS. And once you're on IPFS, you're basically part of this entire ginormous network of computers that people run in their homes or data centers, whatever it is, anybody can partake in the IPFS. But what happens if that computer gets shut off? What happens if that hardware get, gets wiped? Well, we found out that 30%, approximately 30% of the NFTs that are created today end up experiencing that problem. So how do you resolve it? We've come up with a few solutions that we're implementing right now. I can't really talk about it too much, but you're, you're spot on in the sense that this is a major problem. If you're creating digital assets and that digital asset finds itself you know, somewhere in the ether, and you can't retrieve it anymore, then you actually do have a problem, right? Um, the minting of it of the actual token, the ID, the fingerprint, yeah, that's going to be on the blockchain. That you're going to be able to find, and it's going to be immutable as long as the internet continues to exist, and that's not going to be an issue. But yes, there is a problem today with what happens to the actual file that that NFT represents. 
So there are a few companies working on it, work, work, working on it, a lot of different ways of, of, of making it happen. So, you know, just keep your ears open and, and you'll learn soon enough. And in 2016, there were uh, nearly 663 cryptos in existence, compared to over 6,000 in 2021. The main source of value for Bitcoin is its scarcity aspect, as there is a limit on the number of Bitcoins that can be mined, in theory, at 21 million. But when we take a look at the history of the idea of scarcity, as a means of value, it isn't new. One common example is tulip mania, which more scarce the flower, the more value it held. Um, but eventually everyone realized that they were just flowers. So what do you think about that connection in regards to Bitcoin and crypto? There's a lot of similarities. You know, there's a lot of similarities. Unfortunately, there are a lot of similarities. Um, let's talk about tulip mania for a second. For a moment here, so you had a bunch of people growing tulips, and there was a, a huge run at the market, and then everybody realized, wait a minute, why am I mortgaging my house to buy a bulb for a flower? What is that flower able to give me? So that was the first time that somebody said, wait a minute, what's the utility here? And for most people, most investors who look at the crypto industry, they look at the utility. What is the? What do I get by owning this token? By staking it. Do I get a return by staking it? Does it unlock new features and functionality in a platform that wasn't available to me before? Uh, by holding on to it, do I get any kind of access to new forms of maybe fan engagement from an entertainment or sports perspective? So that is the key, right? If you're able to provide a good utility behind your project, then you could have infinite amount of tokens out there providing infinite amount of utility. This is where a lot of people kind of got burned in the beginning of this whole craze. And I would say 2016, 2017 into 2018, where you saw a lot of these initial coin offerings happening across the world where, you know, people made all kinds of claims. A lot of investors came in millions and millions, if not actually correction, billions of dollars of tokens were sold and very, very few projects actually were launched. Um, so it's a concern. Now, there are a lot of ways of mitigating that. As long as you do your own research and you, you trust the people behind it and they're credible and they have a solid team, they've got a solid platform, they've got a solid roadmap. And OK, you know, you're you're evaluating that risk. Um, you could take it even a step further. So ICOs was, you know, three, four years ago. Now we're seeing a huge rise in STOs, security token offerings. And the difference between a, an ICO and an STO is the regulatory compliance behind it. If you're gonna be issuing a security token, you have to comply with whatever you know, framework you're doing under. Here in the US, you would have to be FINRA compliant, which means that if something goes wrong, the SEC steps in. In fact, the SEC will step in even if you don't issue a security token, but if you're just doing a unregistered or unauthorized token sale that might be deemed a security, they will step in. Uh, case in point, Telegram. So Telegram did their own unofficial ICO, I think about two years ago, and uh, they raised well over a billion dollars. Well, SEC, you know, their ears stood up, they saw the numbers, they looked at it, they said, oh, this is, this is a security, guys. So they had to give all the money back to all their investors. It's a lot of money, a lot of cycles to go through. 
So yeah, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a combination of understanding the utility, uh, looking at what it is that exactly you're getting involved in, what the platform promises to deliver and whether or not, you know, these are credible teams, credible people, credible platform. It's, it's not a straight, it's not a straight answer, unfortunately. And for cryptos like Dogecoin, where there is no limit to the number of Dogecoins that can be mined, which is why for most of its time in the beginning, it was almost worthless, but now it's worth ridiculous amounts of money. Most of Dogecoin's uh, value right now is based off of its community aspect. Communities shift all the time from either different social platforms or different crypto. Do you think that will happen to Dogecoin too, making it worthless one day? It could. Um, not saying it wouldn't or will, but it, it definitely could. I mean, look, it's uh, it's trends, right? So what's the trend today is not going to be the trend tomorrow. Uh, did anybody care about NFTs before 2020? No, it didn't. Uh, one could even say that it was because of the pandemic that we all went through globally, that that's really what launched NFTs. People looking for something new to do, looking for a new way to get a community built, for creators to get their work out there. Okay, so... Yeah, I think everything boils down to whatever the trend, whatever the flavor of the week is, you know, it's a very common notion. And a lot of people think that way as well. Um, you know, look at just brands, what people are wearing. Okay. It went from, I don't know, champions back in the nineties to, you know, Supreme and all the other brands that you're seeing today. So what we like today may not be what we like tomorrow. Um, in the case of Dogecoin, uh, I mean, Musk himself said, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, I forget exactly what the words were verbatim on Sunday Live, but he's like, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a hustle or something like that, right? He, he mentioned something, yeah. So, you know, um, I think guys like him, you know, it's very difficult for, uh, for me or people that I know to really trust these, quote, influencers because uh, someone in his position uh, with the amount of wealth that he has and the power that he has, you know, he's, he might be just having fun and, and he's not really interested in really supporting a community. So he's just having fun with stuff and doing his things. But the rest of the world that is looking to, you know, try to grow their wealth and try to secure their, their financial future is looking to people like, like Musk and saying, okay, well, if he's doing it, I should do it too. So, you know, it's unfortunate that that's, that's not how you should proceed with these kind of things, but it, it is what it is. Um, Dogecoin is just the first of many, you know, it was even started as a joke, right? It was a, this dog meme that, you know, a bunch of guys said, hey, let's, let's create this coin around, but they, they definitely won't be the last. As you said with Elon Musk, basically any tweet he puts out on pretty much any crypto could drastically impact it. Um, he's got big influence in that area and based off of uh, his tweets, it seems like, as you said, that he's more just having some fun with it, not being a major influencer for a community. Any final thoughts to wrap it up before the episode uh, concludes? No, no final thoughts. I mean, um, you know, NFTs, blockchain, crypto, DeFi, these are all really interesting subjects that are only growing and growing in popularity and uh, their utility, their portability, adaptability. Uh, I think that not only is the industry here to stay, but it's only going to continue to grow. We're seeing a massive growth within the industry. LinkedIn, I was reading an article the other day, LinkedIn had about 400% growth on their, on their platform for jobs just within the crypto industry. So that is an indicator. To me, that's a buy signal. The last couple of weeks or so, we've been seeing a huge uh, bear market when it comes to uh, the cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ether, all these guys are all in the red for the last few weeks. 
Uh, and that's fine. That's a corrective experience. I think I expect that to change. I expect that to go uh, and reverse itself soon as well, because the industry as a whole is only growing. So my, uh, my two cents is that if uh, you're interested in technology, if you're interested in new ways to innovate and improve the world, then you want to look into blockchain and you want to get your, you know, get your, uh, get your thinking cap on, get the wheels moving because that's where everything is heading. And, and that could seriously continue to impact the world as we know it both now and into the future. I completely agree. I definitely think it's one of those industries um, that we as a society keep having uh, to research, analyze, and understand more. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to the MBIT podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, it would mean a lot if you dropped a five-star review down below. We will see you in the next episode. And special thanks to Simon for hopping on the pod. It was a pleasure. Thanks, James. Disclaimer, the podcast you just heard is not a recommendation to buy or sell any stocks, holdings, or securities. The podcast is also not meant to serve as the basis of any investment decision. 